and turn to uh, the book of Acts, chapter 25, for an opening scripture. My intent uh, for this afternoon was to, uh, was to spend some time finishing up on the fasting and praying session from yesterday. I was just sitting back there and listening to the singing of God's people and having just come from the kitchen area over there. I can't do that. I can't do that. So we're going to go right into the um, singing and praising session. And if the Lord gives time for Friday, maybe we'll just back up a little bit and talk about this. Just clean up the, uh, the fasting and praying session back then on Friday afternoon if we have time. God bless you for your spontaneity in your singing. My, your vibrancy. Oh, the world needs to hear that. Everyone needs to hear that. I would love to take all of you along home with me Put you in front of the congregation at Buffalo Valley Christian Fellowship on Sunday morning. Hallelujah. Oh, would you go? <laughs> oh, my. There's a sermon here in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. If you want to open your Bibles there, we're going to read it in unison. Any one of you preachers out there, I think you have a three-point outline in this sermon. And it's just a, just a very um, astounding verse for God's people to consider. Let's read it carefully. Let's read it thoughtfully, and let's read it perhaps more just very methodically and one, one word at a time, all together. Just follow my lead. I'll try not to be too careful. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. You may be seated. When did they sing? At midnight. At midnight. It was the turn of a new day. Old things had been passed away. You know, they had been put in stocks in the prison. They were locked up. And a new day was dawning upon their hearts. It was midnight. And a new day was dawning upon their hearts. And they sang praises unto God. They prayed and sang praises unto God. Who heard them? The prisoners heard them. And we don't know how many prisoners were in that prison that day or that night at midnight. We can imagine perhaps down the hallway of that prison there might have been some prison cells with some very hardened uh, criminals, perhaps some very, perhaps some drunkards, perhaps some, some, just some people caught up in all kinds of vices and sins of the world even as there is today. And as Paul and Silas sang praises unto God, the prisoners 
heard them. You know, dear people, dear young people, dear everybody, there are many prisoners held captive in this world today waiting to hear your song. Oh, hallelujah. That song that you sang. Can I use your songbook, please? No, I mean the, uh, where you're, the choir songbook. Find me the, uh, the last song there, the joy. The joy song. What, what, a, what a tremendous, tremendous blessing to the... Uh, Oh, there'll be joy, joy, where the joys never die, for the new day draweth nigh when the workers gather home. Joy, joy, joy. Oh, there'll be joy when the work is done, joy when the reapers gather home, bringing the sheaves at set of sun to the new Jerusalem. Joy, joy, joy. The world knows very little about that kind of joy, and the world is waiting to hear that song. Take it everywhere. Take it where, when you go, where you go, wherever you go. Just take that song to the people of this world. You know, somebody shared a few words with me about a precious prayer meeting. Some of you all had last night. I wasn't there. I was in bed sleeping. I need to get my sleep. <clears throat> Lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. Hallelujah. The time of the singing of birds has come and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. I've, uh, and you know me well enough by now to know that there's been times when the Lord has smote my heart over the sin that has overtaken me. But I have also experienced this. <laughs> Hallelujah. And you can all experience that if you are faithful to simply confess sin when it overtakes you. Come in repentance to God once again. You can continually experience that. So we're going to move on this morning. And if some of you, you know, I don't want to take anybody to a place where your heart isn't, okay? Okay. So my heart is that we're going to move on this morning from a place of fasting and praying and repentance and that kind of posture to a place of praising and singing and worshiping, knowing that the winter is past, the rain is over, flowers appear upon the earth and the turtle dove is heard in our land. There's a time in the Christian's life for rejoicing. Amen. Let me be quick to say, if your heart isn't there, and there's heaviness upon your heart over something, please don't let me take you there before you're ready for that place. God bless you. And as you, as you evaluate saints around you rejoicing, may your heart increase in jealousy for that kind of joy because it's available for everyone. So God bless you as we go through this, um, through this talk here, this, um, this time here this morning. You know, Jesus, if we go to um, Hebrews chapter 12, I thought about the martyrs, um, many martyrs we can read about that were faithful to their calling from the Lord. And 2017, I mentioned to you, I was my first time reading through the Bible and I did get that accomplished and it was a joy to my heart, it was a blessing to my life. This year I'm uh, planning to, I've committed to read through the martyr's mirror. 
I don't know if you know what the Martyr's Mirror is on the West Coast. I'm assuming that you do. It's a pretty, it's a pretty big book. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm reading it with anticipation. I'm almost a third of the way through, and it's only March, but it was wintertime, so I had a lot of time to read. But I have been reading a lot about saints that have gone on before us, and they have faced tremendous persecution and tremendous opposition to what they believed, and they have stood faithful to what they believed. Many of them have. But it was always, it was always, I've read so many times. I mean, this is, this is just, this is just amazing to me. As you read of mothers just exhorting their, their children to stay faithful. Stay faithful, John. Just stay faithful to the Lord. Just don't, just answer their questions, and, but just stay faithful to the Lord. Don't recant, my son. Just stay faithful for the joy is awaiting you. The joy is awaiting you. The winter will be past. The suffering will be over. But the joy, my son, my daughter, is awaiting you just on the other side. And that is what took those martyrs through again and again and again and again. And the Lord Jesus, when he faced the cross, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. Those mockers that walked past that cross and they were mocking him and laughing up at him and just despising him. He despised the shame. He didn't even consider the shame to be worth anything. He just, he just endured the cross. He despised the shame. Why? For the joy. For the joy. For the joy that was set before him. Praise the Lord. Endure suffering. Dear young people, train your bodies to suffer as we talked yesterday. And endure suffering. It's for a time. The joy is over on the other side. And some of that is for us here as well. Even today. <clears throat> Singing and praising, singing and praising. What, do, what does this man have to teach? A choir. <laughs> Brother Anthony, what do I have to teach you uh, or any one of you young people about singing and praising after sitting in the, uh, in the session there? <laughs> you should all be up here teaching me about singing and praising. <laughs> singing and praising. Luke 6.45 Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, it speaketh. Whatever you will put in will come out. We talked about that the other day as we talked about the reading and meditating. You will put in scripture meditations, out will come singing and praising. You fast and pray and draw nigh to God, as we talked about yesterday. His presence also draws nigh to you, and what else can God's people do but to end up in a singing and praising posture. I so appreciated that song, I want to be a Christian. In my heart. In my heart. In my heart. 
Christianity is a, is a heart issue. It's, a, it's, it's first and foremost a heart. I want to be a Christian in my heart. So singing and praising for God's people is simply a natural response to what God has done uh, for you. Let's turn to Psalm uh, and just read Psalm 100. I'm sure most of you are quite familiar with that psalm. We've been able to read together in unison okay, I believe, so let's do it again. Psalm 100, everybody ready? If you're ready, um, we'll just all read together Psalm 100. It's a beautiful psalm to consider a subject like this. Even though it's not new to any of us, it's good to read it here this afternoon. Everybody ready? Let's go. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. Amen. Okay, so next I just want to page through Psalms a little bit here. And I have some references noted in my uh, notes here. You don't necessarily need to uh, turn with me. You can if you want to, just a couple pages before that. We'll start at Psalm 92. And what we want to do is just maybe read one or two verses from just maybe ten or so of the Psalms. Psalm 92 says, It is a good thing. To give thanks unto the Lord, and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. Psalm 95, verse 1 and 2. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Psalm 96. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord. Bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day and declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all the people. Psalm 98. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. The Lord hath made known his salvation, his righteousness that he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. Psalm 101, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. Psalm 105, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wonderful works. Glory ye in his holy name, let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Psalm 106. 
Praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And then one more in Psalm 108. I think we'll read the first three verses. Oh, God. Oh, God. I rejoice. I think probably the majority of your hearts is at this place. And I wouldn't be surprised if all of your hearts are at this same place as David's heart was when he wrote Psalm 108. Oh, God, my heart is vexed. It will not move away from God. Oh, God, my heart is vexed. As I look out ahead of my life, I may have, what am I, 56? Well, the Lord may give me some years yet, 20, 30, 40, I don't know. But my heart is fixed no matter what come, what may. Nothing will separate me from the love of God, Paul said. My heart is fixed. Young people, you're much younger than I am. Is your heart fixed? I trust that it is. It is fixed not just for tomorrow, but it is fixed for the for, for the next year and for the next 10 years and for the next 20 years and for the next 30, however many years God gives you, your heart is fixed. It is fixed in spite of persecution that may come your way. It is fixed in spite of mockery that may come your way. It is fixed in spite of what your friends may do. It is, your heart is fixed. Oh God, my heart is fixed. I will sing praise. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. And I will sing praises unto thee among the nations. You're going to have much opportunity for that in the years ahead. As you keep those praises in your heart, you're going to have much opportunity to sing praises unto the nations that God brings before you. And I don't know where, I don't know who, maybe you don't either, but you will sing praises unto the nations. It may be the nation of the USA, it may be other places, but wherever you are, you will sing praises. As your heart is fixed, you will sing praises unto the nations. These psalms are so wonderful. For thy mercy is great above the heavens, and thy truth reacheth unto the clouds. You know, God, there's two things that I think about that God is looking for on the earth. His eye is searching. The one has already been talked about a few times in this meeting, and I'm not sure if the other one has or not. But there's two things that as God is in heaven, as he's looking down upon his people, there's two things that he's, his eye is diligently searching out for. The eye of the Lord runs to and fro across the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. Some would unpack that. Thank you for letting me use your term again. 
some would unpack that this way, in the heart of those whose to show himself strong in the heart of those that is complete in him, complete in God. Your life is complete in him, first of all, before you move out into this world. He desires to show himself strong on the behalf of such a person. God is also looking for something else. I said there's two things that God is looking for. And wonder if there's anybody here in this room. First of all, we'll ask the students. If you might think, you might know where my mind is going. Now, there may be other things that I'm not really thinking of right now, but where do you think my mind is going? Where the Bible says that God is seeking. God is seeking something on this earth. Any of you students? It's, it's okay if you're not there. I've been, I've been studying this subject for the last, I mean, this, this subject's been on my mind for some days here already, so. John 24, turn there if you will. This is the account of Jesus meeting up with the Samaritan woman. Excuse me, is that John 4? I said it's John 24, but it's John 4. John 4 is the account where Jesus is going through Samaria. And he meets up with the Samaritan woman, and he asks the Samaritan woman to get to, 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 to draw up from Jacob's well a drink for him. I think somebody had this in devotions the other day as well. And this, this Samaritan woman is so amazed that Jesus, being a Jew, would ask of her to draw up water from the well, for the Samaritans were despised by the Jews in that day. Well, by the time their conversation was over here, and we, you know, we know some of the words that Jesus spoke unto her, amazing words that he spoke unto her, and then uh, he, he, you know, he just expressed something to her that he knew about her that so shocked her so that she said, Sir, Sir, I mean, there's only one way you could know that about my life. I perceive that you are a prophet. And there they are, this woman and Jesus. and She had just said that he's a prophet. and goes on to say that our fathers have worshipped over here in this mountain. And you, as the Jews, you say that we ought to go up to, we need to go up to, that Jerusalem is the place to worship. And so here she meets a prophet, and it seems like this dilemma is going on in her mind. Where is then the right place to worship? Is it at this mountain of her father's, or is it in Jerusalem? Jesus answered her this way, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. I'm in, in verse 22, I'm sorry, of John chapter 4. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
For the Father seeketh such to worship him. And that's what God is looking for across the whole earth. He is seeking out for those to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. A little later on in the talk here this afternoon, we just want to look at this scripture a little bit and unpack it some more. Um, What does it mean to worship the Father in spirit and in truth? You know, if the Father is looking for those to worship Him, that worship Him in spirit and in truth, then God's people ought to know in their heart what it means to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen? We ought to know these things. We, if we don't know them, then we ought, to, we ought to dig into it until we know them because the Father is seeking such to worship Him. And it, furthermore, they that worship Him must. This is not an option. It's not like we can worship this way or we can worship this way. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So we want to take some time and look at that a little later on. Um, But I just want to share with you a little bit of what I know about singing. And I tell you, it is the most precious gift that I know of that God has given to his people. I just experienced a piece of heaven over in the uh, dining hall And I bless you and thank you for it. To come in from a hard day's work, dealing with customers, whatever a man has been doing throughout the day, and you step into the door uh, of the house, your your, your work is behind you, your labors are over, and um, your wife is at the kitchen sink or she's at the sewing machine and she's singing. Is a very, very, very beautiful thing. It's a very, very, very precious thing. To put your son at a drill press, and there's lots of other machinery running in the shop, and there's lots of noise, and um, and I've done this myself, and it's, it's very interesting to watch this. When we hear this noise in our ears, we don't really realize how loud we're singing, but that young man, when he's sitting at this drill press and that noise is going on around about him, and he is just singing at the top of his lungs, he can be heard outside the shop very, very well. <laughs> but he doesn't know it because all he hears is the machinery running. <laughs> oh, that is such a joy. Oh, that's so beautiful. Just, 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 just no cares, but just to sing. Just to let her let it out. I do that sometimes on a Sunday morning before my family's up. <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> to enter the church doors on a Sunday morning and <laughs> to enter this room on a, on a, you know, when the next session is supposed to begin, and for the day away, you know, you had the responsibility to lead the worship, but the, but the worshipers beat you to the worship. You, they were singing already before you got up here. They couldn't wait. Hallelujah. I mean, that kind of worship, that is just the most beautiful, 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 uh, beautiful thing. 
And I just say, take it wherever you go. And uh, just, uh, just sing unto the Lord. Um, but at home, we, uh, we have a few of those young people in our congregation, more than a few. And they, uh, my, uh, the youth in our home get called sometimes early on a Sunday morning or Saturday night. Hey, let's meet early at church on Sunday morning and let's sing a while. And we enter the church doors and they're down in the hallway where the acoustics I guess they're the best. I don't know really about those things, but they sing down in the hallway of all places. And this, uh, this music is just pouring into the sanctuary. And as we men go into the prayer room, it's just, you're just bathed with this worship, this singing of the young people. And it's not, there's nothing more beautiful to my heart than that kind of worship, that kind of singing. So take it. Take it wherever, wherever you go. It's precious beyond any comparison. But then there's the story of the cobbler. Have you all heard the story of the cobbler? Back in the um, late 1700s that had a wealthy landlord living in the, he was living in the basement of the house of his wealthy Landlord, is there anyone here that has heard this story of the cobbler? It's kind of a blessing coming west. Back east, everybody's heard these stories, and I get to tell them to people for the first time. <laughs> the cobbler. Back in the days when, you know, there was cottage industries in the towns and villages and America was just getting on its feet and early 1800s, late 1700s maybe, cottage industries were the economic stay of the community. There may have been a tanner, there may have been a blacksmith down the road, there may have been a um, tailor, but also a cobbler. Just somebody, just so everybody knows, what's a cobbler back in the olden days? He's a shoemaker or a shoe repairman. So people would bring their shoes Back in the days when you wouldn't just throw them away every time they wear out, they would take them to the cobbler for repair. And so the cobbler would repair your shoes, and that's how he would make his living. This particular cobbler was living in a basement, renting from a wealthy landlord who lived just on the floor above him. The cobbler was financially poor and not able to afford anything else for him and his wife other than this basement dwelling. However, there was one thing that the cobbler had that many in life did not have. He had a song in his heart. And day by day, he would repair the shoes and he would be singing and singing and singing and singing. He would stop his singing for one thing and one thing alone and that was when another customer would come to his door and knock on the door just to drop off another pair of shoes. He would go and talk to them and take in the pair of shoes to repair, evaluate a little bit what needed to be done. He'd go back to his, back to his bench to repair his shoes, and the songs would begin again. And away he would sing, and he would sing, and he would sing, and he would sing. This continual singing aggravated his landlord who lived just on the floor above him. 
And why do you think that might be? I have a question about that. I don't know that the story necessarily spells that out. But maybe this landlord had a mother from years ago that would sing as she would um, go around the house. Maybe he gave him remembrances of a mother that he rebelled against. I don't know. Maybe this landlord, you know, maybe brought convictions to, to his own heart about the need to seek God. I don't know why this singing aggravated this landlord. But he was definitely one of those prisoners that needs to hear the singing out of the Christian's heart. He was so aggravated with this singing of the cobbler and just it bothered him day by day. And one day his wife came to him with an idea of how to take care of this problem. And the next day the landlord showed up at the cobbler's door and just simply gave to the cobbler a very heavy bag that he had slung across his shoulder. The cobbler was never more surprised, amazed, astonished, for he had never in his life even expected to see so much money. The bag was full of coins. And his landlord had just given it to him. What is he to do with it? Anxiety entered into his heart as he labored over what to do with his bag. He decided he must keep it hidden from everyone because they might, you know, there's dishonest people around. He decided even to hide it from his wife because who knows what she might want to spend it on. Women like to go shopping. And he, uh... So what he did is he put it underneath the mattress on his side of the bed, a feather mattress, and up by his head there and slept there with it one night under his mattress. And the next day he got so worried that his wife might find it underneath the mattress. And so when she was away that day, he moved it over to the corner of his little shop underneath a whole bunch of old, old shoes, old boots, and discarded ones that he was meaning to throw out one day and, and never did. So he hid this bag of coins underneath those shoes. And so it was there underneath there for a few days, and then his heart and his mind, he got worried about this, and he got worried that his wife one day, when, when he's not watching, she would move the shoes or she'd decide she wants to clean the apartment and clean out the shoes. And he got so concerned about that. So he took the opportunity when she went out to get some milk and he dug a big two-foot-deep hole underneath where the rug used to go, right, right in front of the door. So he dug a hole in the dirt and he put the, uh, these coins in, in the hole. He covered the hole up and put the rug back over again. Anxiety. Wrestlings going on in his heart. Meanwhile, upstairs, the landlord was smiling for his wife's plan. Had worked. And the singing of the cobbler had completely stopped. And a question for all of us as we listen to that story is, what will you give? The Bible says, what will you give? in exchange for your soul. This morning I asked you the question, what will you give in exchange for your song? Dear young people, it's not worth it.
It's not worth it. You keep that song in your heart. Take it with you wherever you go. The world has so many, many distractions, doesn't it, Brother Aaron? The world has so many, many, many distractions that take our song uh, away from us so many, many times. So let's take a closer look at John chapter 4. We'll turn to uh, turn there again. We read, already read the scripture. We read where the woman said, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Where shall we worship? Neither at this mountain nor Jerusalem. And he taught the woman not how, not where to worship, but how to worship in spirit and in truth. Well, first of all, he says that ye know not what ye worship. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Now I ask you young people, who is a New Testament Jew? And we'll turn to uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 29, to find our answer to that question. Who is a New Testament Jew? I think we'll find our answer in Romans chapter 2. Got it. Thank you. Sorry, slow on this one. <clears throat> For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So who is a New Testament Jew? We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. And I believe, I don't even doubt it, I don't even have to ask this question that you know what you worship. And I don't know that the word what is necessarily correct. I know that you know who you worship. And you don't, you don't just know about the person that you're worshiping. You know the person that you're worshiping. You're walking with him. You're talking with him. You have a relationship with him. You know this person, the Lord Jesus, that you're worshiping. And truly your heart has been circumcised and the world has been cut out of your heart. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. Praise the Lord. Romans 8.16 says, God's spirit is witnessing with our spirit that we are a child of God. You know the person the person that you are um, worshiping. We must worship in truth. We must worship in truth. Turn to 1 Samuel. First Samuel chapter 15, we have the uh, 
story of Saul, where the Lord said to Saul in verse 2, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, excuse me, I'll, I'll wait a bit, I hear rustling of pages. 1 Samuel 15, verse 2, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man, woman, infant, suckling, ox, sheep, camel, and ass. So Saul gathered the people together. They went out against the Amaleks on that day. God had said, smite Amalek and destroy all that they have. And you all, you know this story most likely. They spared Agag, the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the lambs. And when the prophet Samuel came to Saul in verse 13, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. Saul said unto him, Now it's this, uh, this sin of not obeying the Lord is growing. And he's saying, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, what meaneth then the bleating of the sheep in mine ears? I know a little bit what the, and the lowing of the cattle, I think it says, the bleating of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear. We live in pretty close proximity to um, some calf barns. There's a lot of veal calf barns there in Union County where we live. And um, early in the morning when new calves have been brought in, And I, I go outside early in the morning and I hear the, the lowing of those calves that have just been taken away from their mamas and they're putting into, they put into the stalls in this veal barns. It's just, mm, just one after the next. 150 of them all at one time just, just crying out uh, for, for uh, I guess, for their mamas. I'm, I'm not quite sure. But anyway, I know what, it, I know what Samuel was hearing. I know the noise that was coming to his ears. <clears throat> That's perfectly okay. Okay, Saul and the people, they spared Agag, the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the lambs. In verse 22 is the verse that we're really looking for. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold to obey. Young people, remember this scripture. Write it upon your heart. Take it with you. Put it on your refrigerator. Tape it in your bedroom. Do whatever you need to, to to remember this scripture because it is a very, very, very important scripture because God is seeking. God is seeking out across the whole earth for those that will worship Him in truth. And if you remember this scripture, behold, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. 
And you've been given this Bible. You've been given brothers and sisters that will continually teach you the way of truth. And I tell you, when the Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice, to, to think of coming into the house of God and singing and praising God with the bleating of the sheep in your heart. The bleating of the sheep in your heart. Hearts of disobedience. Let me tell you, you can't sing like you sang over there in that in that uh, in that kitchen, in that dining hall. You can't sing like that with the bleating of the sheep in your hearts. If there are sheep that are bleating in your heart, before you go sing in the choir, slay those sheep. To obey is always better than sacrifice because God is seeking worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. So just remember, truth, what is truth? Sanctify them through thy truth. Again, we talked about this the other day. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Anything that's in here is truth. It's just truth. It's just full. It's all truth. There's no untruth in this. And don't tear any pages out of it. And don't change anything. You'll lose your song. You'll lose your effectiveness. Because they that worship him must worship him in truth. Let us remember that as we go throughout our, our lives. Spirit, they must also worship him in spirit. And I wanted to go to Romans chapter 8 and just read that chapter. And I may go there. I wanted each person to read a verse, but we're not going to do that for the sake of time. I, the staff was good to me yesterday. I don't want to take advantage of, of that. But um, let's all turn to Romans Chapter 8. We know about Romans chapter 7. We know about the, the writings in Romans chapter 7. We know about the wretched man that was there. We know about the battle between the flesh and the spirit in Romans chapter 7. We know about the deliverance through Jesus Christ there in verse 25, the last verse of Romans chapter 7. And Romans chapter 8 begins with these words, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. If you want to memorize another chapter, you know, you, you young people have been doing so well in memorization, but if you want to memorize another chapter and write it upon the tables of your heart, this is a good chapter to keep in your heart as you have that great desire to remain clear before the Lord and to walk in the Spirit. Remember, to be carnally minded is death. Death to your spiritual life, death to your song, death to your vitality, death to anything that you might have to offer to a dying world. To be carnally minded, uh, dear brethren, is, is death. 
The carnal mind is enmity against God. So they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead, but the spirit is life. And Brother Dale read this verse the other evening. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies with the same spirit by his spirit that dwelleth in you. And I tell you what, I saw quickened bodies over in that dining room. I saw the hand of God upon your hearts. And I just... (laughs) I just don't want that to go away. Just, you're not all going to be together in the, in, in, in the weeks and months ahead. Keep that vitality. Let it spread to the person that you're, you're friends with or your family or whatever. Keep that vitality as you travel home with your, your, your mother, Casey, and, and the rest of you. Just, just keep that vitality in your heart that you had, in the choir that you have, not had, but that you had. Just keep that vitality. You cannot do it on your own strength. You need the Spirit of God. To, to, to sing like that, <laughs> there's no substitution. There just absolutely is no substitution. You just need the Spirit, and you need the truth. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and they must worship him in truth. And and there's no shortcut. There's no other way around it. There's just one way that you can sing like that. And there's just one way that you can be a blessing like that. There's just one way that you can be effective to a dying world like that. It is through the spirit and the truth. And God is seeking such to worship him. So just keep on going to from where you're at this day. God bless you. God bless you so much. The spirit and truth are very much in agreement one with each other. Did you know that? They are very much in agreement one with each other. You never have to consider that there's an opposition between the spirit and the truth. They agree with each other. There are three, 1 John 5, 7 says, that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. I have one more story for you today. It's a very touching story. It's a very meaningful story to us because it happened right in our community. I don't know how familiar the rest of you are with the uh, French and Indian War that was going on before the Revolutionary War. White settlers had moved into the, um, into the, um, into the early frontier there. Penn's Woods had been opened up by William Penn there in Pennsylvania. And the uh, Anabaptist peoples had moved into Penn's Woods along, along with Moravians and some other ones. Quakers, of course, Pen, uh, William Penn's people. And uh, we live right in those communities where a lot of these, there's a lot of history there concerning the French and Indian War. And uh, I could take you right to the house, right to the property, right to the place where this happened, the story that I'm going to tell you, because there's a marker there along Ridge Road. Uh, 
down close to Penn's Creek. We, sometimes we go that way to church and we go right past. And I always marvel at times I stop and read this marker one more time. I just marvel at this story. And perhaps some of you have the book. Do any of you have the book alone but not alone? You have that? Okay. Some of the rest of you are nodding your heads. So you know all about this story of the Leinecker family. It's a true story. Happened in Penn's Creek, 1755. White settlers had moved into the, into the, into the community there. Native Indians were outraged or were being taken advantage off of. And on the warpath one day, to uh, rid themselves of some of these uh, white settlers that had sort of just moved in and taken their land away, they came upon the, uh, the Leinecker home. I think it was John Leinecker, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, mom and dad, Leinecker, were away that day. And um, they massacred some of the family. If I have the story right, if I'm incorrect on some of these details, don't hold me to it. But I'm thinking they massacred some of the family. They took two girls hostage as captives. The older girl's name was Barbara. The younger girl, I don't remember her name. Those of you that have read the book, do you remember her name? The, the younger girl, she may have been, what was her name? Was it Regina? Regina. Let's call her Regina. We need a name for her. Thanks. So two-year-old Regina or so and Barbara were taken captive, to her th were taken captive by these Indians. And um, the Leinecker cabin where they grew up, in this home, it was a Christian home, and they would often sing, especially the mother would sing to her little girls as she rocked her girls, her little girls to sleep or took care of her family. She would often be singing. And uh, one of the songs that she would sing over and over and over again was a line, doch nicht a line. The German family, yes, they would sing it in German. I don't have the German words. I'm not sure if it's in the book or not, but I have the English words. Alone yet not alone am I, though in this solitude so drear. I feel my Savior always near. He comes the weary hours to cheer. I am with him and he with me. I therefore cannot lonely be. But on this fateful day in 1755, the Leinecker parents had been gone for the day and these ravaging, revengeful Indians Natives, they take Barbara and her two-year-old little sister Regina captive. And so they take them captive and they take them away. And I think they were together for a little while as these Indians were traveling. But there came a time when they came to a fork in the trail. And the most devastating thing of all happened to these two sisters. As Regina was ripped out of Barbara's arms and the one path led this way. The other path led that way. They never saw each other again for many, many, many years. Years later, after the French and Indian War, a peace treaty was reached where the Indians agreed to release all the captives. This was, this is, we're now jumping ahead 10, 12, maybe 15 years later. 
So a peace treaty was reached between the, between the two parties at odds with one another. And the Indians agreed to release any white captives that they had taken over the years. And Mother Leinecker, never having forgotten her daughters, traveled on horseback, as I hear it, with a, during a blinding snowstorm, but she had to get down to Carlisle. And some of you that are from Franklin County, you know where Carlisle is. She traveled down to Carlisle on horseback in a blinding snowstorm in hopes of meeting up with her Regina. Now, Barbara, I understand, had escaped from the Indians some five years earlier. She had been a captive in the Indian, with the Indians um, for many years. Um, the Indian chief's son was actually preparing to marry her. And it was a, um, I mean, you have to realize these girls were, they were, they were, they were just made to be Indians. I mean, they would take the bark of the trees and try and make their skin dark like the Indians. They'd try and do their hair like, you know, they were just, they just grew up Indians. So there came a time when the, the chief's son wanted to marry um, this Barbara, but she escaped. That was desperate to her to get out of there. Somehow she managed to escape and found her way home, actually, to her Leinecker home again. So Barbara and mother traveled down to Carlisle in search of baby Regina, um, now would be in her mid-teens perhaps, and, um, and they get there, and there's a long line of captives there by the fort in Carlisle. As they go down the line in search of their Regina, there's just... They just cannot make a connection. Deeply burdened. On Mama Leininger's heart, she searches again as she goes down the line of captives and she peers into all those hardened, glassy, hurting eyes in search of perhaps she could find the eyes of her baby. Nothing. All she could see is hardened faces, straggly, greasy hair, skin that was just dark with bark rubbed into it over the years. Disappointed, Mother and Barbara turned away for the long ride home, thinking little sister must have died somewhere along the way. As they were leaving, the general of the fort stopped them, talked to them a little bit. They shared where they're at, with their issue, with their, their little baby Regina. And uh, he asked them if there's not something. You know, isn't there a... Um, isn't there a birthmark, perhaps, on your baby? Maybe a scar that, of an accident that happened years ago. And perhaps there's some way that you could identify this little girl of yours. And they couldn't think of anything. And they turned to leave. And Mama Leinecker thought of one thing. 
And she went back before those captives and she started singing. A line don't need, a line beneath. Alone yet not, alone I am. And she sang that song and as she peered into the eyes of the captives as she moved from one to the other. Alone yet not, alone am I. Though in this solitude so drear, I feel my Savior always near. He comes the weary hours to cheer. I am with him and he with me. I therefore cannot lonely be. A line don't need, a line beneath. She peered into the eyes of those captives. She came to one young girl and a flicker of recognition went from the, looker, from the girl's eyes to mother's eyes. And that day, that captive girl was reunited with her mother. I said that story so slow, you were probably at the end long before I was, but. That's such a beautiful story to me. Jesus said, I have come to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To comfort all that mourn, to give them beauty for ashes and oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for heaviness that these might be also called trees of righteousness by the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they shall build the old wastes. They shall raise up the former desolations, repair the waste cities. Never underestimate, dear young people, the power of your song in working alongside with the Lord Jesus in bringing captives out of captivity. God wants to use your song in the same way that he used Mrs. Leinecker's song to bring captives, that the devil is holding captive. He wants to bring the captives out of captivity into a joyous relationship with the Lord Jesus that he might be glorified. God bless you all. Again, those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth for the Father seeketh such to worship him.